0: Hey, uh, welcome to week two of Origins. Um, Let me say this. I believe that if we can get today's message inside of us as, as a church and as individuals, I truly believe it is a game changer. Are you hearing me? I mean, I believe it has the ability to change our walk, our influence in the community, how we operate in our community, and in our homes, and our families. With that being said, let's pray real quick, and we'll jump into this. God, I thank you. Man, I thank you for what you did in the first service. I thank you for what you've done in worship. God, you've already shown that you're in this room, and I thank you that, for that, because I don't want to get on this stage without you. I am not enough on my own. I need you to speak through me. I need to hear your voice and hear your words that I can give the people. These people don't need a word from me. They need a word from you, God. And I pray you would break down any barriers that will keep us from hearing from you today. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. 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 Hey, how many uh, remember the old comic book strips and papers? You One of the the only things I would ever read. How many remember Calvin and Hobbes? Calvin and Hobbes. Hey, there was one um, Calvin and Hobbes uh, comic strip where they were talking about the new year. And uh, Calvin says this, I'm getting disillusioned with these new years. They don't seem very new at all. Each new year is just like the old year. Here another year has gone by, and everything is still the same. There's still pollution, there's still war, there's still stupidity, and there's still greed. Things haven't changed. What kind of future is this, Calvin says. I thought things were supposed to improve. I thought the future was supposed to be better. After listening to Calvin's rant, Hobb replies, The problem with the future is... It keeps turning into the present. That's the gospel in a comic strip. The problem with the future is it keeps turning into the present. My dad would say it like this. If you want something different that you've got, you're going to have to do something that you've never done before. And if you're not willing to do that, then guess what? The future always turns into the present where you're at, right? In other words, what you're doing right now, where you're at in your life, that is your future if something doesn't change. And if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to bring it up on the screens. How many are somewhat familiar with the Sermon on the Mount? Somewhat, you've heard of it. Let me—it It is Jesus' most famous sermon that he ever preached. It is also the most challenging sermon that he ever preached. And here's the thing about Jesus you need to know. When he speaks, when he teaches, and you're in that, that room where he taught or where he said things, you walk away there two, two ways. Either you are challenged to change something in your life, or you're ticked off and offended. That's the only way. I mean, when Jesus spoke, you, you read it. There were people that were challenged to change something about their life, and then there were the Pharisees that got ticked off. That's the only way, because Jesus, Jesus doesn't pull any punches when he speaks. Are you hearing me? He doesn't water it down. So you may say, Kelly, what does the Sermon on the Mount have to do with this series, Origins? I'm glad you asked, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, it, it starts in chapter 5. But I believe the verses in chapter 4 leading up to chapter 5 are essential for us to to get a grasp on what this has to do with origins. We'll start in Matthew chapter 4, starting with verse 17. Chloe, you with me? All right, let's do it. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Let's say it again. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Let's jump down five verses to verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. I made this really easy for you. What one word stuck out in both of those passages? What was it? Kingdom. kingdom, get this, uh, the, ki- the word kingdom is a theme throughout the Gospels. Uh, whether it's kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, they're the same. In the Gospels alone, kingdom is mentioned 126 times. Anybody think the kingdom is important? So what does the kingdom even mean? Here, here's what I've, I've discovered. Most people, even followers of Jesus that have been Christians for a long time, don't really have a grasp on what the kingdom of God really is. I mean we, we don't. We'll shout. We'll say amen. But we're like I don't know what they're saying. But everybody else is shouting so I am too. But we don't really have an, a concept. I love Dallas Willard. He is a philosopher. A, an author. I love his definition of the kingdom of God. Bring that up for me. It says this. The kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. Where what God wants done is done. It's the range of God's effective will. Where what God wants done is done. See, when you look up the word kingdom in the dictionary, it says it's a realm, a domain, a territory that is ruled by a king or a queen. And here's the truth. Everybody in this room, I don't care your age, where you come from, ethnicity, background, everyone in this room has a kingdom. Everybody. So, Stay with me. So if God's kingdom is his effective will getting done, what he wants done, your kingdom is when your will rules everything else and it gets done. See, when I say everybody has a kingdom, you you don't have to be alive long in this world to realize you have your own little kingdom. Anybody ever hang out with a toddler? Come on. My little Juno, my granddaughter Juno, she has hit her terrible twos running full sprint. And, and little Sonny, man, see, you, you would think Sharon will be, I mean, or Sonny will, well, she, Juno will be playing, and you will think that Sonny has done something terrible to her, but when you go in and check, no, it's just Sonny has invaded her territory, her kingdom. And then, if, like, she can be over here playing with this toy. Those are her toys, too. But hey, she's happy, don't want anything to do with those toys. Sonny crawls over there, begins to play with those toys. And then that favorite word of toddlers comes out mine. Mine. They're two favorite words no and mine. No and mine. And then it doesn't stop there, it goes with you. You take your kids on a trip to Walmart or on vacation, and in the back seat they set up their little kingdoms. You've got this one here, that one over there, and then you've always got the one that antagonizes. Come Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? And then what happens? War eventually breaks out between the two kingdoms in the back seat, and that overflows into dad's kingdom in the front seat. And then dad begins to say, don't make me come back there. Now, I understand we got a lot of northerners. Yeah, we do talk like that. And we do whip our kids. Uh, Let me just go ahead and say that. And I think the problem started with a lot of kids when we quit whipping them. But that's that's neither here nor there. But anyway, don't make me come back there. And then what happens? What? Come on. Especially if you're a southern dad, you know this. Your hand leaves your kingdom. It goes back and back and forth between the two kingdoms, hitting whatever you can hit. Why? What's going on? You're, he's trying to restore order to the kingdom. Come on. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about too, too much. Come on. We, we, were you ever one of those kids that you weren't even involved, but you just got some of the repercussions of your brother and sister because the hand was just failing. Hey, I'm not even in this. <laughs> Jesus knew. We as humans, we've got our own kingdom. Where what we want, want done is done. And Jesus here in Matthew 4, 17, 23, he shows up and said, Listen, I'm here to introduce a new kingdom to you. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven. Where what God wants done gets done get this everything jesus did the words he spoke the miracles he performed he was making this statement hey guys the kingdom of god it's here It's here. When Jesus raised somebody from the dead, he was declaring the kingdom of God is here. When God raised uh, healed somebody that was blind, he was declaring the kingdom of God is healed. Here, when Jesus forgave sins and said, go sin no more, he was declaring, "Guys, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is right here. He's restoring and redeeming what the curse of sin had brought into this land. He was getting things back to their origin. He was saying, God, since sin came into the picture, things have gotten so distorted. I'm here to reset that. I, I, I love what Philip Yancey and a couple others say about Jesus when he performed miracles. Uh, if you will, bring that up for me. It says this, Death, decay, entropy, and destruction are the true suspensions true suspensions of God's laws. Miracles are the earthly glimpses of restoration. Look what a German theologian Jürgen Moltmann said. He said this, Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are the only truly natural thing in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. I love what Tim Keller says. He says this, Jesus' miracles were not the suspension of the natural order but the restoration of the natural order. In, in, in other words he said get the, he said listen. This is not those things you think are so natural. Those are only those are unnatural. The miracles Jesus did, he was bringing the natural back. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is what this world is supposed to look like. This world wasn't meant to have disease, wasn't meant to have hunger, wasn't meant to have racism, but sin entered. Adam and Eve sinned, and Jesus, God said, you know what? Things are getting so crazy, I've got to to do something. And he sent his one and only son, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and what Jesus was doing, he came saying, listen, things have gotten out of order here in this earth. I came to bring heaven back to earth to restore things to their origin. I mean, you think of the miracles that Jesus did when he give, gave a guy his sight back. He pretty much gave him his life back. When he takes a leper who had been deemed an outcast, heals him, makes him clean, and then what's he doing? Giving him his life back, restoring life. He heals a woman that had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. What's he doing? Giving her her life back. He brings a dead girl back to life, giving her her life back. He's restoring Order. I mean, we need to understand what Yancey, Maltman, and Keller were saying is the miracles that Jesus did, they were the only natural thing in this unnatural world. Jesus has given us a glimpse of what a life lived under his reign looks like. Again, we weren't meant to be sick. We weren't meant to be homeless, blind, disease-ridden. We weren't even designed to die. I read an article this past week says this human body, so I have to say human bodies, the human body has no detectable maximum lifespan. No detectable maximum lifespan. But through the years, we've been led to believe that what is unnatural is just natural. You, know what, you want to know what's unnatural in this world, guys? Sickness. Disease. Divorce. Hatred, racism, addiction, death, hopelessness. Those are unnatural things. These are things that are unnatural. But we've been, we've been led to believe it's, oh, it's just life. It's just life. No, it's the unnatural that's occurring in this life. And Jesus came and began the work of redeeming and setting things back to their origin and setting them back in order. Jesus declares the kingdom of God is here. And in these next verses in, in, in chapter 4, you're getting ready to see what the, what the uh, kingdom of God looks like. Bring up verse 24 for me. It says this, News about him spread as far as Syria. People soon began bringing to him all who were sick. Here it is. Whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. It doesn't say he healed some. He healed every other one. He healed a few. It said whoever they brought, in other words, whoever got into the range of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, God healed. They got healed. He healed them all. Jesus was showing and demonstrating, guys, this is what it looks like when heaven invades earth. That's what it looks like. See, people that would hear Jesus talking about the kingdom, they understood this because they were very familiar with the Roman Empire. And you know what how the how the Roman Empire became so massive and so big? What they would do when they invaded a city, they would go into that city. After they had invaded them, they would begin to build Roman statues. Roman statues of their gods, of who they worship, these Roman temples. They built all these things that essentially made it look like a little Rome. And the whole purpose was so when Caesar visited that city, he would feel right at home. Because it looked just like where he was. What Jesus was saying, guys, the reason I came to earth... I came to set up God's government here. I came to set up the way God sees things, the way God does. I came to bring heaven to earth, to make heaven look, to make earth look a lot like heaven. That's why I came. Look, look at First Corinthians 420. Hey guys, this is a statement. If you're one of those that likes to post about 420, here's your something to post. You know what I'm talking about? Just ask plenty around, you know. because they're <laughs> Here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 4.20. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Here's the problem. The church has been a lot about talk, but very little about power. We've talked the talk, but we haven't walked the walk. I don't know about you, church. I'm tired of hearing about the good old days. I'm tired of hearing about healings, tired of hearing about miracles, tired of hearing about deliverances. I think it's time that we begin to quit just talking it and begin to walk it out and begin to see these things today, today. That's what Jesus did. Jesus said, hey, I didn't come to just talk it. I came to show you literally what it looks like. I'm pressing reset because this is not the way it was supposed to be. I'm pressing reset on years of religious traditions. I'm pressing reset on these sacred cows you've set up. I'm pressing reset on how people look at anger, unforgiveness, and how they look at marriage. I'm pressing reset because that is not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus gives us a glimpse as we get, get ready to get into the Sermon on the Mount. Of what it looks like. Life looks like under his reign. And if you've actually ever sat down and read the Sermon on the Mount. um, And processed what's being said. You would probably think. There is no way possible I can live that out. It's challenging. In fact, uh, Martin Luther said this about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is so difficult. That we can only fall on the grace of God. In other words. The teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Without grace, we are hopeless. If we don't have grace, we're done. We're a done deal. I, I, read, I read a tweet. Uh, and man, this is not to get political because you know I don't. But this was a, a senator, a reverend. He, he, that's what he goes by. Uh, senator Reverend Warnock. He deleted this, text, or this tweet after a lot of backlash. But here's what he said. He tweeted on Easter Day. He's a pastor down in Atlanta. The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. I think the whole meaning of Easter is this. We can't save ourselves. That's why Jesus came. If we could save ourselves, we wouldn't have needed Jesus to come and do it. If we could save ourselves, we would have done it a long time ago. The fact is, we need grace. We need Jesus. We need him every day of our life. The last verse of Matthew 4 sets the stage for the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 25. Stay with me on these. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Judea, go ahead and go to that next verse too there for me. And the region across the Jordan followed him. The movement is gaining momentum. Then we get introduced to the Sermon on the Mount. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, what was his ministry doing? He was drawing what? He had a following, man. I mean, it was on. I mean, things were going great. He climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. Church, if we're going to get back to the origins and begin to live this out, the kingdom of God where we live. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. Good is always the enemy of great. You never fully arrive. Are you hearing me? Good is always the enemy of great. You never fully arrive. Because we have a tendency, and it's easier for us to fall in this mindset. When things are going good, why rock the boat? Come on. Don't don't fix it if it ain't broke. Yeah, I know we could have better, but it's pretty good right now. And what happens is we allow good to rob us of what the great God has for us because you never, I'm telling you, you never fully arrive. And if you were to sit down with a market strategist with Jesus and he's talking to Jesus, he'd tell Jesus, hey, man, the momentum is going. Now is to take advantage of this. You've got crowds. You've got following. Hey, let's get the word out. Let's build you an an Instagram following. Let's build you a social media following. Let's pump it up. Let's get everybody involved. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. In fact, Jesus does something they would have said don't do. He climbs a hill. Why would he climb a hill? Do you know what climbing requires? Effort. You have to intentionally climb to get. You have to use energy, strength. My friend David Gray, he's he's taught a couple of times, he loves to hike. In fact, him and his brothers and his dad, they go on this massive hiking trip every year. Uh, but it forces you to use muscles you don't even know you've got. I'll, I'll never forget Denise and I, and I and our kids when we were living down in Georgia. Uh, we were going to what falls was that? Tallulah Falls. And there was these steps that go all the way down to this, supposed to be this great fall. It wasn't a great fall. Uh, and so we walked down it. We walked down it. And, man, that was great. I mean, going downhill is great. And then, uh, so the kids, they thought, oh, Pops, he can't beat us uphill. So they began to make bets with me. I said, all right, I'll bet with you. I'm Sheridan sure remembers this. And and so I said, let's do it. So we settled our bet where they would have to to do whatever I asked them to for a week. I don't think I ever got the full thing out of that. And and so I said, okay, y'all say go. They said, go. I began to walk. They began a dead sprint. I get about a quarter up. They're laying out on this deck. (laughs) And they're crying, damn, it's no fair y'all the ones that start to run because it takes effort to climb. Nobody ever gets to the top of a mountain and go, how'd I get here? I mean, I was down there. Now, what happened? Unless you've been celebrating 420... Then you may arrive, but most people don't. You still take some effort to get up there on that hill because you don't get there by accident. And some say, so why would Jesus climb the hill when he got all this crowd? There, there's been some that say, well, he climbed to make it easier for people to hear, but I don't think that. Here's why I think Jesus climbed the hill that day. I believe Jesus climbed the hillside. It was very intentional, and Jesus was making this statement. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be one of my disciples, you're going to have to learn to climb. And I think the biggest problem with a lot of people in the church today is they never learned to climb because they've, been, they've settled for being crowd dwellers. Not everybody climbed with Jesus. Who didn't say climb with him? The committed, those apprenticed to him, climbed with him. And when they climbed with him, guess what? They got a one on one with Jesus because they were, they were willing to climb. You said, listen, I'm glad. It's really good that you're here. It's really good that you want to be near me. It's really good that you want to listen to my teaching. But if you really want to be a committed, if you really want to know what I'm about, you're going to have to climb with me. The second thing is this. We got good is always the enemy of great. Second thing is this. Great always requires growth. Great always requires growth. Uh, well, Jesus went climb because he wanted his disciples, his followers, the people to know they weren't made for an average life. Come on. Are you hearing me? Jesus is saying this. Guys, the reason I came, I didn't come so you could continue to live in your average status quo, business as usual kind of life. I've been showing you what the kingdom of God looks like. If you can tap into it, I've been telling you that. But the only way you're going to get there is if you climb. You climb. See, when Jesus declared the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come, here's what he's saying. You don't have to live like you've been living. You don't have to live broken. You can be made whole. You don't have to live in that sin or addiction. You can be set free. You don't have to live with that worry, that anxiety, that depression, because in the kingdom of God, there is a peace that passes all understanding. But you have to know, good is always the enemy of great. Great. Always requires growth. And thirdly, growth is always up. Up. We weren't made to live here. Are you hearing me? There may be times we go through this, but that's not where we're meant to live. We were meant to live up here. I mean, you look at Scripture throughout the whole thing. Habakkuk 3.19 declares, The eternal Lord is my strength. He has made my feet like the feet of a deer. He allows me to walk on high places. You look at Psalms 18.33. Through you, through you, the psalmist said, I ascend to the highest peaks of your glory, to stand in the heavenly places strong and secure in you. Hebrews 3.1. Says it's so, my dear Christian friends, companions in following this call to the heights. Take a good, hard look at Jesus. He's the centerpiece of everything we believe. Faithful in everything God gave him. Did you get where he says? Take a look at the centerpiece, Jesus. But where are they? Where's he telling them to look at it at? In the heights. Where he said, hey, 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 you want a really good look at Jesus? What he's all about? What he looks like? Climb up here climb up here the question I believe that's being asked of us as a body and as individuals is this are you going to climb with Jesus or are you just content to stay in the crowd are you just going to settle for easy convenient comfortable not involved or are you going to be intentional with your time your energy, your resources and begin to pursue the purposes of God with your life what you were really created to do. See, I believe, man, I've talked to a lot of you. I, I know there are big dreams in this room. And I'm not talking dreams like, I mean, there may be a couple in here, but of, being, of hitting the lottery. And I mean, come on, that's one of my dreams. But, but I'm talking about God-given dreams. I believe there are a lot of God-given dreams in this room. Dream, I'm talking about dreams for financial freedom. Come on. Dreams for a thriving marriage. Come on. A dream for a better relationship with your kids or kids with their parents. Dreams about our health. Come on. Dreams that, well, hey, I want to run a 5K or at least want to run to the fridge without getting winded. they <laughs> you know, too close to home. Dreams about our walk with God. Dreams about breaking that addiction once and for all off your life. Those are big God-given dreams. But here's the thing about uphill dreams. Uphill dreams demand uphill habits. Here's the way John Maxwell said it. Most people have uphill dreams but downhill habits. You have to intentionally turn downhill sliding into uphill climbing. There's that word again. You have to intentionally do it. You're not going to get there by accident. You're, guys, if, you're, if your marriage is struggling, you're not going to one day wake up with this thriving, healthy marriage and wonder, how this happen? Come on. You wanna, you, your relationship with your kids are suffering, or vice versa. And you're not just going to wake up one day, and all of a sudden it's going to be healed. It's got to be intentional. I love you man, I didn't even say this the first, but 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 uh the, the the your foster kids and their mom. If she wanted her kids back, she had to get intentional. She wasn't just one day gonna wake up and say, Oh, I don't even want those drugs anymore. I'm good. No, I'm going going to walk out these steps. I'm going to begin to do everything the judge tells me to do. I'm going to be able to do everything the work or the character they tell me to do because I'm going to be intentional because I want that. I want my kids back more than I want this. Most people have uphill dreams but downhill habits. Got to be intentional. Hey, let's be honest. Downhill sliding is a lot more fun than uphill climbing. Come on, anybody ever went snow tubing? See, now, now I know you go to the snow tube, you just sit in your little tube, and you got a machine that pulls you to the top. Now, when I have going up, you walked up to the top, and then, hey, will you carry my tube? No, you want to enjoy the slide down, you carry your own tube. Now I'm talking to my kids. Let's get up there. Because it's a lot. See, what i am discovered in relationships, in the church world, in the business world, Everybody wants to ride down with you, but very few people want to help pull the cart up. Jesus looked at these people. Guys, I know you've got some uphill dreams, but man, you're locked into some downhill habits. How about we go for a climb? Matthew 5, again, let's look at that. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, those who were committed to him, they climbed with him. The NLT reads it, his disciples gathered with him. Either way you look at it, you know, a disciple means a learner. When you, when you, when you are a disciple by someone, you want to find out and do exactly how they do things. You want, it's a town We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And in this age, uh, once you got out of school, see, what you would try to do, if you didn't have a family business the, the, with a dad or if you didn't want that, you would try to find someone that had this skill and ask to be their apprentice so you could study and learn how to do what they did and become that. And, and so Jesus goes for a climb. He says, hey, you want to be apprenticed? You want to learn how I do things? Let's go for a climb. Let's go for a climb. He says, those who were apprenticed, those who were disciples, the committed, they climbed with him. Again, I have to ask the question, You guys. Are you going to climb with Jesus or are you just going to hang out with the crowd? Well, PK, Jesus loved the crowd. Absolutely he loved the crowd. He fed the crowd. He healed the crowd. He cried with them. He taught them. But what Jesus wanted was it wasn't for crowd dwellers. It was for uphill climbers. Guys, listen. I'm not going to force you. You want to be part of this crowd? And I'm not talking about unsafe people. You understand that. I'm talking about followers of Jesus. You want to stay in that crowd right there. I realize it's comfortable there. That's fine. But if you want to walk and operate in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to climb. You're going to have to climb. See, our culture, man, everybody in this room, you're going to be disciple a disciple of someone or something. You may not call yourself a disciple. Maybe you would like you're being influenced by an influencer. Because their culture is telling us every day what success looks like. You want to be successful, look at this person. You want you want you wanna you wanna be a TikTok legend and, and get your your numbers up where you can get paid? Look at this person, how they're doing it. You, you want to be this? You want to be famous? Here, here's how you do it. And you're being discipled, whether you want to call it that or not, by, by them. I believe Jesus was saying, hey, what do you want to be like? You want to be part of the crowd? Is that what you want? Or do you actually want to live the life you were created to live? Or do you want to live the life I created you? If you're tired of just fitting in the crowd, then apprentice yourself to me. Become committed to me. Quit doing it when it's only convenient for you. Quit doing it and being it whenever you, uh, whenever you hit a struggle, then I hear from you. Come on. See, I believe in the church world, especially if you've been part of the church world very long. Instead of being transformed, we just kind of conform to whatever's going on, whatever we've been told. I was reminded of this story, um, uh, this pastor that uh, every once a month, he would bring the kids up for, during the worship part and do like a fight, gather them all around him, and he would do this like little five-minute message. And one day he was doing that, and he was teaching the kids a message on stewardship. So the pastor looked at the kids, and he asked this question, Okay, guys. I'm thinking of something that is soft, gray, furry. It has a long bushy tail, and it stores up nuts in the winter. What is it? One of the kids raises his hand and says, I guess the right answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. (laughs) We do that. I could get up here. Who wants to be his disciple? We're in church. I guess I should say that, but honestly... If I'm being real, this is what I want. It's got to be Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel. Jesus is saying, really, you want want to be my disciple. You want to apprentice yourself to me. And Are you willing to step out of the crowd and start climbing? Are you willing to leave the comfort of others? Because I know it's comfortable in there. Are you willing to leave that and climb? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Have you ever felt lost in the crowd? Come on, you ever had that feeling? Like I just feel lost in the crowd. Maybe the reason is you weren't meant to live in the crowd. You were meant to climb. You were meant to climb. See, to truly follow Jesus, guys, it's going to require some things in our life. Are you hearing me? And I'm all about grace. Y'all know that I, man, I give a a lot of grace just simply because I know I I need it. But I also know this. If I want an intimate relationship with Jesus, I've got to take some steps. It's not just going to happen. If I want some things to change, it's not just going to happen. And so if we want that, if we truly want to follow Jesus, it's going to require some things from us. It's going to require some things if we want to get back to the origin, who God said we were, what we were created to be. The first thing it's going to require, separation. That means when you break out of the crowd, quit being complacent, quit selling for good, and you get determined, right now I'm actually going to follow Jesus. If Jesus says go there, I'm going to go. If Jesus says stop, I'm going to stop. If he says move to the right, if I see him, man, I'm just going to follow whatever Jesus does. And that's going to require separation because how many know everybody in your crowd does not want to climb. That's right. That's right. And it's comfortable right here. But you got to decide, is this where I want to be? Or do I want to step into the life Jesus called me to live? And that's going to require separation. That Roger you say, guys, this is where I'm going. you want to come with me, you're more than welcome, but you need to know I just can't stay there any longer. Second thing in boss requires elevation. elevation. So man, it's when you start looking up to him instead of everything around you. It's when you start looking up and you're determined you weren't made for average. You weren't made to be a coward. You weren't made to be a beggar. You weren't made to be a doormat. You weren't made to be dominated by fear. You weren't made to be ruled by this sin. You weren't made to be held captive by this addiction. You're not a failure. You're not a mistake. You're not garbage. You're not a loser. You're not a victim. And you look up and say, I'm a son of God. I was made to be an overcomer. Victorious. Come on, that's a a fighter. I'm invaluable to God. It's elevation. The third thing it requires, transformation. Listen to me. There's no way you can hang out with Jesus. I mean, when I say hang out, I mean you're climbing with Jesus and not be transformed. I know people that have been in church 30 years plus and they're still the exact same person they were today that they were 30 years ago you know why because they never got the courage to step out and begin to climb with Jesus they were satisfied in the right here and you got to determine and we're four months into this year are you going to find yourself at the end of this year where you have separated where you have put yourself on this transforming, or you're just going to find yourself still hanging out with the crowd. See, when you hang out with Jesus, the kingdom of God that was formed in Jesus, it starts forming in you. That's what this is all about. Getting back to the origins of who we were meant to be. Can you imagine if we began to live this out, Matt, in our work environments, in our neighborhoods, where, we, where wherever we walked, we brought the kingdom of heaven. See, there's stories in the Bible. Paul, some of the others, they would just walk by, people, and, and their shadow would heal people. Can you imagine being in Walmart? And you're so in touch with the kingdom of God and, and climbing with Jesus that you walk beside somebody and you don't even know it. But man, they leave Walmart that day. I don't know what happened. I'm healed. That's what, that's what God wants to do, guys. The last thing this community here needs is another church. Come on, you saw a rock and hit a church, it doesn't need another church. What it needs is a community, a group of people that say, I'm no longer going to stay in the circle of friends. I'm going to climb with Jesus, and I'm going to make this earth look a whole lot like heaven. God is inviting us to climb. Came across a prayer by a lady named Carol Hauslander. She lived from 1901 to 1954. She was a writer and poet. But this prayer hit me with such honesty. You pull that up for me. I'm going to give it a minute because it's lagging. Because I want you to read this prayer. We are the mediocre. We are the half givers. We are the half lovers. We are the saverless of salt. Lord Jesus Christ, restore us now to the primal splendor of first love. Break the hard crust of complacency and quicken in us the sharp grace of desire. I am the mediocre. I am the half giver, the half lover. The savorless salt. Jesus, restore me now to the primal, the origin, the splendor of first love. So, when I first fell in love with you, restore me to that. And quicken in me this sharp grace of desire. And that's my prayer for every one of you. Because I believe, especially with COVID and everything that's going on, we found it real easy to just hang out over here. Get complacent. Just hang out here. What Jesus said, you want the life I've got for you? Begin to climb. Begin to climb. Begin to climb. That's, that's, That's good over there. But good is always the enemy of great. And if you settle for good, you will never fully walk under the umbrella the kingdom of God and what I want to do in this world and in you. Stand with me across this road.